The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here's your top five at five. Investors on edge as stocks try to avoid a fourth straight day of losses. Jay Powell, Europe's power problems, and more continue to weigh. A developing story. President Biden will reportedly unveil his plan to cancel billions of dollars in student aid today. A live report from Washington on deck. Shares of Nordstrom sinking as retail's second quarter struggles show no signs of easing. Plus, unrest in Beijing as residents begin to push back against three years of zero COVID protocol policies will be live in Beijing. And later... Call him the Elon Musk of Europe, how Rymac Group is preparing to reshape the EV landscape of an entire continent. It is Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. You're watching World World Exchange on CNBC. A very good morning uh, to you. I'm Wilfred Frost in for Brian Sullivan uh, this morning. Uh, let's get you uh, caught up with the markets and get straight to the futures uh, after what was a disappointing session yesterday. We were lower, but uh, only slightly, frankly, relative to Monday's uh, declines. Uh, the futures uh, right now are pointing to a positive open. We were down by about a third of a percent an hour or two ago in the futures markets, but we're now essentially flat, as you can see, fractional gains expected uh, by about uh, 20 points or so for the Dow. Uh, We did have three days in a row of declines, though, for the Dow and the S&P with yesterday's uh, yesterday's declines, but just about half a percent or so for the Dow and uh, the Nasdaq was basically flat. Now, ahead of the open, here is where we stand from all-time highs on the major averages. The Dow's off 11%, the S&P's off 14%, the Nasdaq still off more than 20%, down 23.6% uh, to be precise. That's as of yesterday's closes. Let's check in on the bond market. The 10-year had a very volatile day yesterday. It was up and down and all around. It got close to 3.1. It got to about 3.08. It got back below 3 and then uh, settled somewhere just above 3. It's at 3.03 at the moment. Yields just fractionally pulling back this morning, but uh, essentially there, the 10-year staying above that 3% handle. And of course, the yield curve remains significantly uh, inverted. Uh, Let's have a look also uh, in the oil markets uh, as well, because crude yesterday uh, had a decent uh, day. Uh, It was a volatile day once again because the dollar was all over the place. The dollar ended soft. That allowed oil prices uh, to rise. They're continuing uh, that rise again today. 95, essentially, the price for WTI at 1.3%. This morning, uh, of course, uh, natural gas is the central uh, story uh, for uh, the commodity markets. It was a wild session yesterday that saw Henry Hub close, uh, saw cross above $10 for the first time since July 2008, but it did end the day a little lower. Uh, As you can see at the moment, it's at 1.5% at 9.3 bucks. A very different story in Europe, of course, uh, for the course of this year. Uh, Natural gas prices continue to skyrocket. We crossed the March peak uh, earlier in the week. We're well above that again. There's the Dutch TTF natural gas price, 271, up another 4.4%. They have an astonishing 300% year to date. Uh, Quick check in. 
on Bitcoin, of course, suffered uh, earlier in the week and uh, over the weekend did have a, a stabilization day yesterday and it's just fractionally lower uh, by less than a percent today, which is not much, of course, for those crypto uh, assets. Uh, Bitcoin 21.3K. Let's check in now on uh, equities this morning outside of the U.S. Shares in Asia uh, ending mostly lower. Europe's been tracking those futures markets as well uh, this morning and uh, seeing uh, a slight improvement during the course of the morning. Let's uh, get to Juliana, uh, who has the latest in Asia and Europe for us this morning. Hey, Wealth. Good morning. Great to see you. As for European equity markets, things have turned around over the course of the morning. As you just alluded, we started out in negative territory, but over the last hour or so, the positive momentum has been building, and we've now got patches of green on the board. The Swiss market, more defensive basket of stocks, is outperforming. We're up about a third of a percent. The Italian market also now crossing into positive territory, as well as the CAC 40 in France. And now you can see the DAX is also catching a bit of a bid. So investors taking advantage of these lower levels that we've seen for European markets. Uh, the Spanish market still in negative territory and some underperformance in the UK, FTSE 100 down about a quarter of a percent. We are tracking a lot of what you're seeing stateside. So, um, of course, yesterday, uh, the downbeat tone on Wall Street, similar to what we saw in Europe. And now this morning, as U.S. futures improve a little bit, it seems as though that's lifting sentiment here in Europe as well. In terms of Asian markets, it was a much more negative session. We uh, tracked those losses on Wall Street in the overnight session. The hang Seng over in Hong Kong dropping about 1.2%. In the mainland, Shanghai Composite dropping about 1.9%. We got a double-digit decline for Xpeng after delivering a downbeat set of numbers. So that's one of the underperformers. A little bit of green, though, over in Australia. The S&P there up about 0.5% in overnight trade. Wolf, hand it back over to you. Juliana, thanks so much uh, for that. Let's get back to Wall Street now. The Dow and S&P's uh, skid continuing for a third day in a row yesterday, a bit uh, amid thin trading volumes and only slight declines, again, relative uh, to Monday at least, uh, down half a percent for the Dow, 0.2 percent for the S&P yesterday. The Nasdaq uh, was essentially flat. Now, uh, August uh, has, of course, uh, been a bit of a non-event for markets at times. The S&P uh, so far flat for the month after surging more than 9% in July, albeit that uh, hides what was an initial surge continuing uh, the July positive momentum and then a, a pullback as of the end of last week and early this week. Let's discuss it all. Craig Johnson, Chief Market Technician at Piper Sandler, uh, joins me. And Craig, congrats, because uh, about a month ago you c correctly called that we were due a rally. And of course, we had a ferocious rally or bounce, I should perhaps say, uh, in July. So, so well played on, on that front. What about now? Are, are you taking profits in in the short term or thinking that that rally can continue? You know, Wilford, we think this is just a short-term pullback. As we've called out in our informed investor publication we just put out uh, here this morning is that typically when you get these moves right up to 200-day moving averages, you typically will come right up to it. You'll test it a few times. You'll back off. In fact, if you look back at some of the rallies uh, and the retest we've seen over the last several kind of major market moves off the lows. It took two or three times before we actually broke through that 200-day moving average. And, Wilfred, I think that's exactly what we're doing now. We still think that uh, this pullback here right now we think should ultimately be bought. And the reason that it should be bought is because there's a lot of investors that are not focusing on the improving market breadth. The number of stocks that are participating, the number of stocks that are moving higher has turned up significantly. And when you come off of major market sort of breath declines like we have seen and you start to move higher, we don't just stop at the 200-day. We hit it, we pull back, 
We then ultimately push through it. And Wilfred, I'll tell you, I think we got another 15% to go. 47.75 is what we're looking for uh, into year end for this year. What, what do you uh, make of the yield outlook and its relationship with stocks at the moment? Clearly, this latest pullback, uh, short-term pullback over the last week or so has come as, as yields have risen once again. Um, can equities hit that 4,700 uh, target on the S&P with the 10-year still above 3%, for example? You know, Wilfred, as long as we see rates sort of stabilize in here and not break out and go to new highs, I think the answer is absolutely yes. In fact, if you step back and you just look at the longer-term chart on the uh, on the 10-year bond yield in the U.S., it looks like what technicians would call a head and shoulders top. And right now, as long as we don't start moving above 313, three and a quarter, I think you're going to continue to see rates uh, go lower. Is what we ultimately think. But if they stabilize near to go lower, definitely we can get to that uh, that year-end objective of 47.75. We're not anticipating rates to break above the 350 level we had seen earlier this year. In fact, we think from our work and the work that our team has done at, uh, at Piper that ultimately rates will start to come down as the inflationary pressures start to come down, and that will clearly be a huge catalyst for equities. Uh, and what's your take uh, in terms of when people say, but once you break into bear market territory, typically they last for 12 to 24 months, 18 months is a, a reasonable average, uh, and, and therefore uh, that we're not going to really retest the highs for quite some time. Well, I think there's got to be the definition of bear market, yes, is typically a 20% decline peak to trough. Um, but when you look back at a longer term sort of secular bull market that started back in 2013, Wilfred, we have seen in the past these little small corrections, spare markets inside the longer term secular bull market. And that's all I think we have right now. When the breath measures, which is the key point to make here this morning, when the breath measures get as washed out as they did back in June, this is when you want to put money to work. You want to be buying on that weakness and you set yourself up for the next move higher. And in terms of the bear markets, links and times, They've differed uh, and they varied across many different uh, time frames. In fact, most of the bear markets have been shorter in duration uh, over the last 10 to 15 years. Craig Johnson, uh, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Very much appreciated, Craig Johnson there from Piper Sandler. Let's go to Washington, D.C., a developing story. Here. Sources telling NBC News that President Biden set to unveil his plan for billions of dollars in student loan debt forgiveness today. Uh, let's go to NBC's Bree Jackson, who joins us uh, from D.C. with the latest on that. Very good morning to you, Bree. Good morning, Wolfie. Yeah, today, President Biden is expected to follow through on his campaign promise to address student loan debt, but it will likely fall short of what some Democrats have pushed for. President Biden expected to slash up to $10,000 in federal student loan debt for borrowers making less than $125,000 a year. I mean, that's way too little. I mean, that's chump change. Over the course of my law school career, I'm expected to accrue around $70,000 over the course of three years. It's estimated over 40 million Americans are in debt for their education, totaling more than $1.7 trillion. The Biden administration is looking to relieve some of that financial stress. We want to make sure higher education is accessible, and we know education is the great equalizer. Critics warn canceling student debt could make inflation even worse. You cannot add that to the debt at a time where the debt is at near record levels and inflation is a huge problem. 
Republican Senator Tom Cotton tweeting, Joe Biden has had a lot of bad ideas. This might be his worst idea yet. With midterms nearing, President Biden faces pressure to do something on this issue. I think the longer that this plays out, the more that the political opponents on the right are going to uh, critique that and say this is not the way to go. Democrats have called on the president to forgive $50,000 for federal student loan debt holders. Last year, Biden said he's not willing to go that far. I'm prepared to write off the $10,000 debt. Um, but not 50. The president is also likely to extend the pause on loan payments that were scheduled to end next month. In a phone call with Mr. Biden Tuesday night, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer made a final push for the president to cancel as much student loan debt as possible. Wilf. Bree, how does this uh, issue divide politically? Is it typically left v. right uh, like many other issues, or is it more kind of young v. old and uh, who has debt versus who hasn't? Well, according to a CNBC poll, about 81 percent of Republicans raise concerns that canceling student loan debt will add to inflation. Uh, and about 41 percent of Democrats say they agree. So with Americans facing higher prices across the board, this is definitely an issue that we expect heading into midterms. Brief. thanks so much. Much appreciated. As always, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, why my next guest says the euro's recent move to the downside could just be the beginning of a sharper move lower, what it means for your portfolio uh, ahead and perhaps your summer holiday plans. Plus, uh, trying to fend off an Omicron 2.0, the FDA reportedly on the verge of approving a new vaccine designed to target the highly contagious variant. And later on, the surprising item helping boost some retailers' bottom lines despite record high prices. A very busy hour ahead on Worldwide Exchange. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Uh, as you just saw, the futures are pointing a little bit higher uh, as we speak, uh, which is good to see improving through the course of the last couple of hours. Now, the dollar is just lurking below milestone highs versus most major currencies today, and uh, it's near a 20-year high against the euro, which is trading below parity once again. The dollar index, which has gained support from 
uh, expectations of higher rates from the Fed has also benefited from poor economic comparisons uh, in the rest of the world, particularly Europe and the UK. Uh, fuel prices in Europe have tripled in the past two months on worries about a lack of energy supplies from Russia this winter. That's coupled with forecasts of higher inflation and expected damage to growth. Uh, let's talk about all of this uh, and what it means for your portfolio. Sonia Martin, Chief FX Strategist at DZ Bank, joins us. Uh, very good morning to you, uh, Sonia. Thanks for, for joining me. I mean, let's talk about the euro first of all. Of course, it's been so uh, so much the centre of this story of late and it's such a big weighting in the DXY, the dollar index, breaking through parity. Was that quite an important level of support or is it just a, a superficial number? Well, in the end, I have to say parity is just a number. So I wouldn't overestimate the importance of this. But it is, of course, technically important. We had made an attempt in July to try to go through parity. The euro managed to resist. It went back up to sort of 103, 104. And now we're back down. And I have to say that the, looking at the price action in the recent days it does look quite quite heavy at this point, and I, I, would, I would expect there to be further losses, especially if the string of negative news that we've had from, yeah, well, from everywhere, really, these days, uh, does continue. Uh, and what about the, the pound, which has been pretty weak as, as well? Of course, mm -hmm. it's some way from its own parity, but uh, given the outlook that we've seen for the United Kingdom, is it, is it plausible that it gets closer to parity itself against the dollar? Yeah, I mean, as you said, it's still quite a way off that level, um, but it has been weak. And, and although I will say, I mean, given the string of news that we've had out of the UK with everything that's going on in terms of growth, Bank of England, and of course, the very, very uncertain political situation, one could have easily imagined the pound being considerably weaker already at this point. So I do think it looks, again, also very vulnerable, definitely ready for setbacks. And to be honest, if we do get a string of bad news, particularly also on the political front, I would not rule out that we return to the lows that we saw in the COVID period on 14. So that's quite a bit further to go. And I mean, this is going to accentuate, at least in the short term, the inflation problem for the likes of Europe and the UK, is it not? I mean, on the flip side, whilst a strong dollar might hurt certain US exports, will it help them manage the inflation problem? Well, yes. I mean, the the, uh, the weakness of the currency, when you talk about the eurozone, for example, at this point is more cursed than a blessing. I mean, we always talk in Germany about, you know, of course, the fact that, you know, a weaker currency is good for the export sector. And that is per se true. But that doesn't really help anyone these days because... The problem is that exporters a lot of times need to import products for their production and that those come at a really high cost, both in terms of, you know, there being supply issues, there's, of course, the energy cost, etc. So the weakness of the euro in terms of just looking at the export-import balance isn't actually doing us any favors. In fact, you know, the we're now in a deficit. And looking at the inflation, that's another huge problem because, of course, it does accentuate further fuel, the inflation problem. And that's also actually the reason why I think if the euro were to continue to fall dynamically from current level, the ECB would have no choice but to start intervening verbally at first, but potentially actually intervening in the market. Um, and just uh, switching focus a little bit to round things off, talk us through what's happening with the, with the Chinese currency. Uh, we've seen for, for it quite big moves of late. Is it in a managed way? Is it what the, the, the Chinese government is intending to do? Is there a risk of it getting a little bit out of their control? No, I don't think so. I mean, the, the government tends to manage things pretty much as they choose. Um, obviously, in, in the last decade or so, the uh, government has made huge strides towards an internationalization of the currency, and that's 
also come along with a lot more, you know, more market, less control. But ultimately, the government will manage things as they see fit. And I think there is a no, we're not at this point yet where I would say that this is a currency that is trading completely at liberty as to where it wants to go. There's certainly always a close eye on the currency. They're still very much from the government. Um, so obviously the most important thing will now be to see how the Chinese um, the Chinese economy fares and how also things progress with COVID as we go into the autumn and winter, because that's going to be a big factor for China as well. Sonia Martin, thanks so much uh, for joining us this morning. Very much appreciate it. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Uh, at just 34 years old, he already runs Europe's largest EV company, which includes famed supercar maker Bugatti. But this industry titan who's being dubbed the next Elon Musk, or at least Elon Musk of Europe, says he's just getting st started. The full story from Worldwide Exchange returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Futures are pointing just a, a fraction higher in the pre-market, uh, a nice improvement from a few hours ago. But let's get a check in on the other headlines this morning uh, outside of the markets and your money. And NBC's Francis Rivera is in the New York studio with the latest. Francis. Wilf, good morning. We start with the U.S. military that has launched airstrikes in Syria, targeting Iran-backed groups. President Biden approved the strikes, retaliation for attacks on two U.S. military facilities in Syria last week. A U.S. military official tells NBC News that around 9 p.m. Eastern, near the city of Deir Essor, four F-15Es and four F-16s struck nine bunkers used as ammunition depots and logistics supply facilities. The official says they are confident there were no casualties. A statement from U.S. Central Command says the strikes were necessary to protect and defend U.S. personnel. In New York, Manhattan Democrats voted to send Jerry Nadler back to Congress while Carolyn Maloney's 30-year tenure in the House is over. Nadler chairs the Judicial Com Judiciary Committee, while Maloney leads the Oversight Committee. The two were forced to face off against one another after their districts were merged together. And Democrat Pat Ryan is a projected winner of the special election in New York's 19th Congressional District. Both parties were watching this race closely for potential insight into November's elections. Meanwhile, Dan Goldman, the attorney who prosecuted the first impeachment case against former President Trump, is leading a New York House race that is too close to call. It was also primary night in Florida. NBC News projects that former governor and congressman Charlie Crist easily won Florida's Democratic primary for governor. He will take on Ron DeSantis in November. Meanwhile, Congressman Matt Gates has won his primary while being under federal investigation for sex trafficking. Gates has denied any wrongdoing. And Congresswoman Val Demings is a projected winner of her Senate race. She could make history as Florida's first black senator if she defeats Marco Rubio in November. So, Wilf, a lot for you on this Wednesday morning for your news headlines. We send it back to you.
A lot indeed, Francis. Thank you so much for breaking it down for us. Now, ahead on Worldwide Exchange, unrest in Beijing as residents there start to push back against the city's strict zero COVID policies. Our Eunice Yoon is live for us this morning. And if you haven't already, do follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange live in the morning, you can check out the summary wherever you get your podcast. We will be right back here on Worldwide Exchange. Welcome back. The market skid continues. The Dow and S&P making it three losing days in a row as investors gear up for the Fed's Jackson Hole Summit. Futures at this hour are fighting for fractional gains. Retail warnings, key names in the sector signaling tough times ahead as companies continue to grapple with inflation. Inventory glut problems and nervous consumers look at who may be positioned best to ride out the storm. And Bed Bath & Beyond uh, reportedly getting a fresh financial lifeline, marking another twist in what's been a volatile few weeks for the retail trading favorite. It is Wednesday, August 24th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Wilfred Frost in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's get you uh, up to speed on the, the market outlook uh, at 5.30 a.m. Uh, on Wall Street. And uh, we're pointing to essentially a flat open on Wall Street. Of course, it comes off uh, slight declines yesterday. The Dow is down half a percent. The Nasdaq was flat. The S&P somewhere in between. Uh, so it was a negative session but a lot better than a Monday and uh, some of the declines that we have seen in the last couple of trading days. As you can see right now, the Dow is expected to open down by 23 points, S&P and Nasdaq down by a point or so each, but essentially uh, flat in percentage uh, terms and better than where we were uh, a couple of hours ago. We were down about a third of a percent in the pre-market. Similarly, uh, European trade has improved a bit, now down just slightly two-tenths uh, of a percent, having been down more than that at the open uh, after what was a pretty negative session for Asia today. Let's have a little look at uh, bond yields in the U.S. this morning. Very volatile for the 10-year, for example. Yesterday, uh, we did see it uh, get close to 3.1, 3.08 it got to. It then dipped back below 3% briefly, settled at about 3.04, 3.05 last night. And it's at 3.03 this morning. So yields just pulling back a fraction, but uh, still above 3% on the 10-year and still heavily inverted uh, as it has been for a while. Energy prices did get a bit of a bounce yesterday for U.S. oil prices as the dollar softened throughout the session. That continues a bit today, 94.7 on WTI. But uh, natural gas has been uh, where it's been most interesting. And it did cross over $10 yesterday, settled below that $9.3 for U.S. natural gas this morning. But that is nothing compared to the prices in Europe, which are up uh, close to 300% or so year to date, continuing their surge uh, this morning. And that Dutch TTF price for natural gas, uh, well above where it peaked at the start of the war in March, uh, as things stand, continuing its stride this morning, up another 4.5%. Let's get you up to speed now on some of uh, this morning's uh, other top stories. Frank Holland is here with those. A very good morning to you, Frank. Hey, good morning to you, Wolf. Great to see you. All right, we're going to begin with the FDA and its plan is to authorize Omicron-specific versions of COVID vaccines in the coming weeks. Sources telling NBC News Americans 12 and older could start getting boosters from Pfizer and BioNTech and Moderna around Labor Day. The move is part of the Biden administration's fall booster campaign. Those sources say Pfizer is seeking authorization on the new shots for people 12 years old and older, while Moderna is seeking authorization for all adults. The FTC says it will drop Mark Zuckerberg from a lawsuit seeking to block his company, Meta Platforms, of course, 
from buying a small virtual reality company. Core documents show that in return, Zuckerberg has agreed not to purchase the VR startup within Unlimited, along with its fitness app, Supernatural, in a personal capacity or through any entity that he controls. The FTC claimed Meta and Zuckerberg were trying to expand its VR empire by buying Supernatural, and a move it claimed violates antitrust laws and reduces competition. And Bed Bath & Beyond reportedly securing a new loan deal to shore up its liquidity. According to the Wall Street Journal, the retailer telling potential lenders yesterday it locked in a deal with one following a marketing process handled by J.P. Morgan Chase. It's unclear the size and the structure of the loan. The journal says Bed Bath is expected to provide an update on its efforts to bolster its finances at the end of this month. And shares you can see right now, Wealth up more than 15 percent, short interest at 38 percent. That meme trade still going on. Crazy stuff uh, in Bed Bath & Beyond. Frank Holland, as always, thank you so much. Yeah, great to see you. Uh, turning to retail more broadly, and uh, this morning's top story, shares of Nordstrom sinking ahead of the open after delivering a weak full-year earnings outlook, slashing its sales outlook, citing weak demand at its uh, lower-priced rack stores and uh, discounting due to a massive inventory glut. We've had a similar story, actually, for Urban Outfitters. Margins there hit hard by steep discounting and uh, high inventory levels. Uh, but it's not all bad news. Shares of speciality retailer LA, uh, Lazy Boy excuse me, uh, popping after a top and bottom line beat. The company says retail sales uh, surged uh, 30% uh, year on year, uh, marking an all-time uh, quarterly record of uh, $236 million. Uh, but we're not done yet. There's big reports still due uh, out this week uh, from Dollar General, Dollar Tree, Ulta, uh, Victoria's Secrets and more. And uh, let's dig into these numbers uh, now we're in a little bit more detail uh, with Jerome uh, Martis, uh, Revenative Director of Consumer Research. A very good morning uh, to you. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Let, let's just summarize uh, earnings season as a whole for the retailers, first of all. How far through it are we? Are we closer to the end uh, than the halfway point now, and uh, how do you rate it for the retailers? Well, good morning, Wilfred. It's been an interesting earnings season nonetheless, and we can, about 80% of the companies have reported retail earnings by now. The bulk of them are beating ex expectations, but um, 169 have reported to date. Of those 169, about 149 are, are giving us warnings because it's still a lot of inflation issues and then about all of them 163 of them are warning us, warning us that they still are dealing with supply issues and now we're, t we're hearing more about the strong dollar tapestry and also estee larder telling us that it's putting a lot of pressure on the international earnings but overall when we look at the entire picture we can see that the low-end consumer is being very much pressured and are losing their spending power whereas the middle class consumer they're looking for value they're cutting up their netflix subscriptions and gravitating towards a membership at cost from bj's to save money at the pump and the high-end consumer they're firing at all cylinders there's no stopping them the high-end uh, retailers are passing on those higher prices to those consumers, and they're willing and able to pay those the, the higher prices for, for the items. What has uh, management commentary on the inflation outlook been like? Is there any signs of it abating or just getting started? 
Well, it's getting started. And the, the talk has really been that because of the high inflation, we now are sitting on high inventory levels. And in a collaboration with Celsius, we've discovered that indeed, for the second quarter of this year, um, the amount of merchandise on sale has gone up to almost nearly 40% of all online merchandise for retailers, for US retailers. Still, this is below the pre-pandemic level where, of 2019 when everything was on sale above the 40% um, uh, um, mark. Still having said that, um, the third quarter is what's going to be very telling for retailers, whether they can move that inventory. If they do, we're going to have a healthy um, holiday season. But if they don't, we're going to have a very promotional Christmas season. Um, clearly, if a recession does materialize, all U.S. retailers will suffer in the short term. That said, does that scenario tend to play to the, to the hands of a big retailer like Walmart? Are they expected to take market share uh, if a recession does materialize? Well, there are some retailers that are proving to um, still be recession-proof, whether, you know, they're doing well no matter how the economy is bearing. And that is the exporting goods who reported yesterday. They have very loyal market share. Lululemon does. When we talk about the discounters, as you mentioned, Walmart, it's very interesting because what Walmart has, where it has the upper hand, against a retailer like Target or the dollar stores is the fact that it sells gasoline. So we're seeing that analysts polled by Refinitiv are more bullish on the discounters that sell gasoline versus those that don't. And as a result, we're seeing that a lot of the middle class consumer as, um, are cutting up those Netflix subscriptions, are getting a Costco BJ, um, BJ's or Sam's Club membership in order to save money at the pump. But then when you dig into the numbers, you're seeing that those same store sales for for in-store purchases are also going up, which means that consumers are parking their cars and are going and purchasing items in-store. So this is why those those discounters are doing much better than a dollar store or a Target. And when we look at the forecast for the remaining of the year, it's expected to remain so as well. And Jerome, just uh, quickly, of the names yet to report this quarter, which ones stand out as uh, perhaps being able to surprise to the upside? For this week, we're definitely looking at Williams-Sonoma. As we mentioned, the high-end consumer is still very much engaged. And also Ulta Beauty, because the consumers are now, they're traveling again. Um, they are going back to work, and they still want to look good. So according to our StarMind data, the, both these companies are very likely to be earnings estimates and post-deposit surprise. Now, in terms of sectors... The hotels, restaurant, and leisure sector is expected to see triple-digit growth in earnings. It's the strongest for the second quarter. As Macy said themselves, consumers are moving away from goods and they're going, they're traveling. It's very evident as they're buying luggages. And as a result, when we look at the forecast, Refinitiv is expecting this sector to continue to be the strongest for the remaining of the year. Jerome Martis, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Very much appreciated. By the way, futures are essentially flat uh, as we stand at, what, uh, 5.40 a.m. on Wall Street. Uh, to a developing story now out of China and its zero COVID policy, uh, growing frustration among residents in Beijing over the strict rules, uh, pushing some to speak out in the heavily controlled country. Of course, Eunice Yun uh, is uh, able to join us now live from Beijing. And uh, Eunice, uh, how are these citizens expressing this growing frustration? Well, for the most part, Wilf, online. Uh, but in the past few days, some people here in Beijing have taken to the streets to air their grievances with paint. 
people here in Beijing and around the country are spending so many hours doing this, waiting and getting a COVID test every few days. Many find it frustrating. That frustration flared up at this very COVID station only days before. Someone defaced it, painting in Chinese, stupid effing prevention control, along with a slogan associated here with the 1989 protests at Tiananmen Square. Give me liberty or give me death, it reads. At the station today, that sensitive phrase is gone. The staff said that the COVID testing station was cleaned up within hours. The health workers told us more stations were vandalized nearby, part of a rare display of discontent despite the watchful eye of the Chinese state. We're in a district in northeastern Beijing, and this is one of the COVID testing stations that had a Chinese character painted on it. You can see how someone has covered it up. The word translates to years. Eight stations around this neighborhood were stenciled with different Chinese characters that people came to realize spell out, it's already been three years. I'm numb. Numbed by relentless controls, Beijing argues can keep COVID cases near zero, but also appear to be pushing some here to a breaking point. And health workers told us that so far there's no word on whether anyone has been caught. Well, Eunice, have you ever seen this sort of protest uh, and people speaking out like this, albeit, as you said, relatively small scale still, but is it unheard of in the last decade or so in China? Oh, it's, it's not unheard of, but it is definitely rare. And, uh, but we have been seeing more and more protests uh, really around the country, especially in these past couple of years because of the pandemic. People have become much more daring, much more frustrated. Like I said at the beginning of this report, uh, most of them have been venting their, their frustrations online. But we have seen in, say, for example, Shanghai, people putting up banners, uh, clanging pots and pans, also screaming out windows. Here in Beijing, it hasn't been the case, especially because in Beijing, the security apparatus is very, very tight. The apparatus tends to move very quickly to try to snuff out any sort of dissent. However, that said, the dissatisfaction with these snap lockdowns, the travel restrictions, the constant COVID testing, and then on top of that, the impact on the economy. Everybody here that I've talked to is really worried about business, the economic outlook, their incomes, their job situation. And so because of that, we're seeing a lot of ups people getting upset about the current situation. Well, Eunice Yoon, as always, thank you so much for that. By the way, a reminder that uh, we did have a negative session in Asia this morning. Shanghai was down 1.9%. Hong Kong was down one2 Europe, though, uh, although worsening over the last hour or so, uh, is only down about a third of 1%. U.S. futures uh, are just fractionally negative uh, as we speak, having been flat for most of the morning. Uh, still to come here on Worldwide Exchange, meeting the man known as the Elon Musk of Europe. Robert Frank introduces us to the brains behind uh, Rimac Auto and the big ambitions he has for his EV company. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. Welcome back. Now, the man known as Europe's Elon Musk, uh, mapping out big plans for the road ahead for his EV company, having already locked in major deals with high-end automakers uh, and securing sizable financing, this 34-year-old's company is looking to break into an even more lucrative space. And Robert Frank joins us now with a closer look uh, at that particular individual and company. Robert, a very good morning to you. Great to see you. 
Good morning, Will. Great to see you as well. Well, Mate Remack built his first EV in his garage when he was just 18 years old. Now at 34, his EV company is valued at over $2.2 billion and rising. Goldman Sachs and SoftBank invested over $500 million in Remack Group back in June. The Croatia-based company now has two units. You've got Bugatti Remack. They make multi-million dollar supercars. And then you have Remack Technology. That supplies battery technology to Porsche, Aston Martin, Jaguar, Hyundai, and a lot of other companies. Revenue at Remac expected to more than quadruple over the next few years with eventual plans to go public. We will go public at some point. Uh, we are in no hurry. I was very publicly against uh, this kind of frenzy that was happening over the last couple of years with specs and so on. I, I knew it would end ugly and most of them did. Of course, there are very good companies who also did the spec and went public in that way, but a lot of people lost, lost a lot of money, especially in our industry, in the electric vehicle industry. So we didn't want to do that. We want to go to the market when it's really the right time, when the company has really very strong financials and we are very close to that. Now, Mate Remack is friendly with Elon Musk. They had lunch in New York this spring, but he said the two companies serve different markets. I admire Tesla and Elon Musk a lot, and uh, I also look up to Elon, of course, uh, but uh, we are in a different segment, so we really want to push the edge of what's possible uh, in performance cars, and Tesla is doing an amazing job with family cars and, let's say, vehicles for the everyday usage. Now, the company's next big expansion is EV robo-taxis, which he's keeping under wraps until at least next year. Meanwhile, they are generating big profits from the combustion engine still. The new 16-cylinder open-top Bugatti just sold out at a price tag of $5 million each. Well, Sold out, yeah. I only managed to, to get my hands on four of them, sadly. I, I would have taken more if possible. But, <laughs> no, but Robert, on the, on the RIMAC, or RIMAC, as you correctly uh, said and uh, corrected me, despite being here in, in Europe on the pronunciation there. So, so they mainly, apart from the Bugatti, white-label their software, their technology to other automakers, because you don't see many of that brand name uh, on the roads, even here in, in Europe. Um, and I guess the other question, as and when they do IPO, is, is where, even if he's not a believer in, in that U.S. SPAC craze, the valuation multiples he'd get stateside versus here would be, be way better. Absolutely. And you have to uh, imagine that with investors like Goldman Sachs and SoftBank, that if they do IPO, it's going to be at least some kind of joint listing, Europe, U.S., or perhaps the U.S., and you're right, you know, right now their big growth business is this robo-taxi business, which we don't know much about, but which could be large. And being a large component producer for the large European companies, Porsche is a 45% investor in Bugatti Remac as well as a big customer of its technology. And so far, you know, we've got the EV companies, but we don't have many companies yet that have grown up as big suppliers of components. And that could be a lucrative space especially as all these other companies get into this market. Robert Frank, great stuff. Thank you so much uh, for bringing us uh, that. Good to see you. See you. Uh, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, we'll get you ready for the market day ahead with futures pointing just fractionally lower uh, as we approach uh, the open. Well, not yet, but uh, in a few hours' time. Uh, Dow's down 30 points. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Uh, a look at the day ahead for investors on the economic front. Two key reports 
to watch out for. Uh, at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, it's durable goods figures, and at 10, it's pending home sales numbers. Uh, earnings season rolls on as well with reports from Salesforce and NVIDIA. They come uh, after the bell, and uh, today's Tesla's uh, three-for-one stock split does take effect. Shares closing at $889 uh, yesterday. The split will bring them down to just under $300 per share. Of course, uh, tended to see the stock run up into those splits as opposed to uh, significantly gain in the days afterwards. But we shall see. It's uh, up fractionally, as you can see in the pre-market, uh, $8.90 per share. Uh, let's get you ready for the trade day ahead. Uh, for more, bring, let's bring in Scott uh, Lander, the Chief Investment Officer at Horizon Investments. Very good morning to you, Scott. Thanks so much for joining me this morning. Uh, I mean, clearly, there's quite a lot of uh, macro considerations this week, especially ahead of uh, Jackson Hole and uh, uh, hearing from Jay Powell on Friday morning. What is a bigger threat to market sentiment? Is it recession materializing or is it higher rates from the Fed? Uh, and, and are both the risks are both priced in or not? Uh, so, look, I mean, I, I think the market has certainly moved on to you know, moving away from being worried about the Fed uh, raising rates too, too high. I mean, the, the, everybody sort of agrees they're going to get raised to three and three quarters, four percent, somewhere around there. Um, the, the market's moved on, and, and now they're worried about recession. The problem is the Fed's not. Uh, the Fed is still worried about inflation. And so we've got this disconnect right now between what the market's worried about and what the Fed's worried about. Uh, and that's causing some of this volatility that we're seeing in markets. And so until we get uh, both the market and the Fed on the same page about what they should really be worrying about, uh, it's gonna, we're going to have a really hard time making new highs in equity markets. So, so is the risk to the downside this week then, unless uh, Jay Powell somehow strikes a very dovish tone again, uh, is, is the risk to the downside? You know, it probably is, Wilfred, leading up into Friday. I mean, you know, it's sort of the obvious trade. And we had a really strong run off the, off the bottoms. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty hard bear market rally or maybe it's the start of a new bull market. We'll see. Um, but but the, and so, you know, the obvious trade is, let's, listen, let's take some money off the table and let's, and let's kind of hang out and wait for Powell to speak on Friday. Um, and, that's, and that's what we've seen so far this week. What we're going to see after that is really, frankly, anybody's guess. Uh, we don't think he's going to say anything really too unsurprising. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, he's been really clear and the rest of the Fed governors have been really clear that inflation is job number one. And so the only thing we might see out of this meeting that might be a kind of a hawkish surprise is if they continue to push back on the rate cuts that the market is priced in for next year. You know, we do think those cuts are probably a little bit premature. Uh, and so you, we may see them, you know, we may see Powell continue to push back and say, hey, listen, we're not cutting rates anytime uh, in 2023, most likely. Uh, but, but you know, you know that, mm -hmm. that, that, would, that would lead to probably a little bit more downside pressure. But it may be fairly limited because at the end of the day, you know, the, the Fed and the market need to come on the same page. And at, at some point, the Fed's going to, going to, going to realize that, that recession is the larger problem. We're just not there yet. We're probably not going to get there until we get close to the holidays. Scott, I think uh, we're going to have to leave it there, I'm afraid, uh, up against the clock today. But thank you very much for joining us, uh, Scott Ladner uh, of Horizon Investments. Uh, let's uh, have a check-in uh, on the futures as we uh, leave you this morning. They are pointing lower only slightly, and it uh, is down, what, 30 points on the Dow. It comes uh, off uh, a day yesterday where we were down three days in a row for the Dow and the S&P, but not too badly. The Dow is down about half a percent, the S&P down two-tenths of a percent yesterday, and the Nasdaq uh, was essentially flat. Now, Asia was very weak this morning. We had Shanghai down 2%, Hong Kong down 1.2%. Europe is lower, about half a percent for the FTSE, 0.4% uh, for the DAX. Uh, that does it for Worldwide Exchange. Scorebox is next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.